Being handicapped or disabled can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in a passenger seat and managing the radio for this road trip is Denis Boudreau. Not your typical shiny suit, Denis is president and chief inclusion officer of Inclusive Communication, a consulting firm that has been focused on helping organizations empower their audiences to truly connect for over 20 years. During that time, Denis has spoken and trained audiences on inclusion, communication, and digital accessibility across Canada, United States, France, Spain, and China. He has worked closely with individuals for vastly different sectors and industries and has taken his expertise to hundreds of organizations around the world. To this day, he has delivered hundreds of workshops and trainings and provided counsel to managers and management teams to help them increase the reach of their message to thousands of people and has trained thousands uh, more on inclusion communication principles. Hi, Denis. Hello. Hey, I... You are in Montreal, and I have some Montreal questions for you. I am okay, in but first, I'm ready to answer those questions. <laughs> but first, I want to skip to my opener, and I I stole this from from you because it just grabbed me. Not your typical shiny suit. What yeah. does that mean? That means that I'm one of those people who gets to talk to CEO or C level executives, and I'm usually wearing a hoodie. That's basically what that means. That's um, a ballsy move, man. And and also, um, I'm a bit of a straight shooter. So I, 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 I like to not sugarcoat it too much. Um, I feel like the things that I talk about are really important. They need to be heard. So I don't, I don't make any excuses for some of the things that need to be said to organizations when they just haven't figured out some of the important things that they're missing out on and, and would be, they, they would be much better off if they actually knew about. I have to tell you, when I read Not Your Chick, Typical Shiny Suit and I saw the big tattoo on your left arm, it made me think, I want this guy because I had a feeling <laughs> you were straightforward. So tell us about the tattoo. Uh, well, it, it's a long story. I don't know if it's extremely ex- interesting, but but I uh, so I work in accessibility. I work in inclusion and I wanted I wanted ink, like ink about that. So okay. that entire sleeve is really about my 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 way of expressing what inclusion means so every piece of the tattoo has a, has a meaning like like most people who will will have a sleeve like they'll, they'll they'll be able to tell you way longer than you would want to why they did that thing and where they did it and all these different things so so it's all about inclusion it's all about connecting uh you know different types of disabilities with the accommodations that they need so that they can use the web the way that you and i do otherwise and, uh, and being a reminder for me of my commitment to inclusion and creating a more accessible, fair digital space for everyone. See, it's specifically that, and I blew that image up and looked at it, is when it tripped me to say, I want this guy on the show. Because <laughs> you put it out there, and like you said, man, you wear the hoodie, and you're not going to hide be- behind anything. And I, I really appreciate that, and it's where I'm taking the show. All right, Great. so Montreal thing. Do, yes. Uh, are the people there looking forward to a uh, major league baseball again after uh, uh expansion happens? 
I don't know if they are, but I am. I certainly yeah. am. So when the Expos were in Montreal for about four years, I was working at the stadium. I was selling odd dogs and programs and different things. Uh-huh. It was my early 20s, and I really, really miss baseball. So Rusty I, I hope Staub. that most of us do. Rusty Staub, Le Grand Orange. Yep. I remember him. Uh, okay. Yeah, back from the 60s and the 70s, Rusty Staub. Um, now, one last thing before we really get rolling. I found a tie between you and Cirque du Soleil. Uh, what, what was your act? <laughs> what, what was my what? What was your act? I'm picking my act. You. Oh, well, I wish it was an act. Uh, yeah, you spoke. No, it, it's, it's, it's regular consulting, helping them yeah. get, get all these ideas across and in a way that you know, puts them in a, in, a good, in good light when it comes to different you know, compliance regulations and, and obligations that organizations have. Uh, the Cirque has done a lot of great work in, in that capacity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's a challenge because they're, they're such a visual and creative brand to begin with. Okay. So paying attention to what you need to do to convey this message and this information in a way that can also be you know, received and understood by someone who's blind, for instance, there's a bit of a challenge there because it's so visual to begin with. Okay. So, so it's, that's it's, interesting. Yeah, different things like that. And then, of course, a big fat DNA, NDA that, uh, that prevents me from being very specific. Okay. All right. So let's, let's get into the, to the brunt of, uh, why you're on the show. And, and I, I want to talk about something that's not often common nor makes sense. I, I read a, a blog post of yours, five tips for helping audience members who are hard of hearing better engaged. Now these include, yep. uh, five different points. And I want you to comment on, on each one after I read all five offering accommodations in advance. Makes sense. Use visual aids. Okay. Use a microphone. Duh. Speak clearly and at a moderate pace. And I'm sure you have to help people clean that sort of thing up Yeah, and provide mm-hmm. written materials. So go ahead. Talk about that stuff, please. Well, I've got a bunch of posts like that one about different types of disabilities. The one in, this one in particular is really about acknowledging that, you know, a, a, por- a significant portion of your audience has different expectations, different needs than the rest of the rest of us, basically. Okay. So when you think about you know providing accommodations in advance, for instance, the idea is that if you have a disability, and you know, this applies to other disabilities than than just uh, people who are hard of hearing, arguably, but if you're better prepared to what the speaker is about to share with you, or the presenter is about to share with you, if you had a chance to look at the look at the documents beforehand you are in a better position to understand what's being said. You can connect the dots more easily. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's in, in, in a nutshell, that's the idea behind this one is simply that if you are sharing that information ahead of time, if you are, say, in a, in a business meeting and you are going to be sharing a PowerPoint with everyone, if you send the PowerPoint ahead of time, instead of saying, I'm not going to do that, I want to keep the surprise, some people don't actually need the surprise. What they need is to understand what's going on. So sharing the information with them ahead of time allows them to prepare. And therefore, they come equipped with better questions. They are more likely to be able to fully participate. And they're not going to spend half their time just trying to catch up to what others might have been said, might have said because, you know, they had a hard time hearing it in the first place. Okay. And, and yeah. So that so, must be tough to get the other person think about it from uh, another perspective. And I think that's a big part of your job, what you're doing. It's a big part of my job, but arguably it's a big job, big part of a lot of people's jobs, getting people to understand or see things the way that they do. I don't think there's anything particularly special with what I do about this, but certainly a huge part of what I do is help people raise their awareness about 
differences, diversity, and how the way that they either conduct themselves or the way that they share information might impact another person's ability to successfully take part in what's happening. So most people, when they realize that they might be creating barriers for their colleagues, their friends, the people that they work with, once they realize that, they want to do something about it. And that's when someone like me comes in and I help them tweak different things so that they become more inclusive in their delivery or in the way that they communicate, whether it's uh, you know, through the spoken word or through an article that they write or something that they put online, getting them to do that in a way that is not likely to, um, to, to, to leave some people behind. So that slides very nicely into uh, another piece I found on your newsletter, and that was titled Unlocking the Benefits of Email Accessibility. And you list seven points. I'll, I'll just read the odd ones, using clear and concise language, using proper formatting, use strong, uh, strong color contrast. And I find that to be really important. And I notice it myself and using tables sparingly. So that's just four out of the seven. Uh, talk about the whole, right. the whole group, Denny. Well, same thing again. It's about communication again, right? So um, just looking at the ones that you've mentioned, for instance, um, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is that the vast majority of our population, their reading level is way under what we would re- we would expect. Uh, the average okay. reading level of a North American, Canadian, you know, American mm-hmm. is around eighth or ninth grade, which basically you know, puts you around 13, 14 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vast majority of people who actually write content have a much higher reading level than that. So there's a huge gap between those who write and those who read the content when they actually read it because most of the time they will just skim it skim through it because it's too complicated complicated for them so using clear and concise language is really about this idea that it's using plain language principles really it's Mm -hmm. it's looking at your content in a way that makes it more digestible less difficult to process so that your message actually get comes across um, another one that you've mentioned was color contrast. And you mentioned that being important to you, for instance, it is important to me for sure, because I'm colorblind. Okay, so I too. lose a lot of information regularly if it's based on color alone. So, uh, you know, a, you know, let's say we're in a, be- a meeting room again, and, and you're sharing a PowerPoint on the screen and you have this pie chart and you've got a bunch of different wedges of different colors and they're all kind of the same general tone because you wanted to make it look nice. So you like, mm-hmm. you've arranged all of that. I probably can't tell which is which because they all look the same to me, for instance. Or, so yeah, I, I want to get off of my notes because I was going to get into this later with your business. I want to talk about that thing in particular, the sure. color contrast. So, do people hire you as a pa- full package, and then you uh, they run things past you to make sure it's proper? For example, again, uh, color contrast. Yeah, okay, it happens. Okay. So, so, so part, part of what I do is is auditing for for brands for 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 organizations, going getting their website, their documents, their assets, whatever they they want to to evaluate through a grid, a checklist of all the different rules that apply to accessibility, and mm-hmm. then giving them recommendations about how to improve different things. Sometimes it's rebuilding some of those materials for them because they're not really sure how to do that. Sometimes it's showing them how to do that because a lot of what I do is teaching and training. So I'll show them uh, how to do that. And sometimes it's just you know, coaching and consulting to help them understand, wrap their head around what these requirements are, what some of these requirements are. Whether what's getting those about emails and sometimes about other things. What's getting those businesses to uh, care about doing that? Is it regulations? For example, I learned, 
yeah, yeah. twenty twenty one. For, 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 the, mo- for the most part, organizations are getting either sued or they get a they they get a a, okay. uh, a complaint letter, and uh, they just want to figure out you know what's wrong, like where does that come from? Because most people have never really heard of accessibility lawsuits or even just new regulation around accessibility, though it's been around for years, um, twenty over twenty years that it's been around in Canada, for instance. And um, and if you just look at Ontario, the accessibility the Ontarians for accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act (AODA) um, was was adopted in two thousand and five, and you know it's almost 20, 20 years ago. Um, and it speaks to all of those things as requirements and with financial penalties and everything. So when people start hearing about those threats, they freak out, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, and with good reason, um, and then people like me come in and we just help them process what that is and, and help them go through what needs to be done so that they uh, they mitigate the risk. So let me ask you, being from the United States and so many things uh, here really ticked me off that it's all about the money and it, it's mm. not about the people. And I'm looking to try to change that one little way with the show. Um, what do you think the percentage of your business comes from the US. My business, 90% easily comes from the US. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Because again, same kind of thing. I mean, in, in, so in Canada, we, we have the same kind of regulation that you have in the US. Uh, The difference is that Canadians don't have a culture of lawsuits, respectfully. So yeah, I get that. That's a huge difference, right? Yeah. So so in the U.S., um, you know, businesses get sued every day. I mean, I mean, multiple times a day. Uh, if mm-hmm. you just look at last year, accessibility lawsuits against organizations that had a digital product, whether it's a website or an application or this or that, uh, that was four thousand fifty-five lawsuits, if I remember correctly. That's okay. like twelve lawsuits a day, basically, oh. um, that are filed on that very thing. Um, and that number has been growing steadily every year since, well, pretty much the last 20 years. Um, like it, people have started really documenting the number of lawsuits every year as of 2016, but we could feel that growing every year. It was becoming more and more of a thing over time. Okay. And people have been tracking this information since 2016. And every year there's a couple of hundred more, if not a thousand more that add up. Um, sometimes companies get sued more than once because they get sued on their website and then they get sued on their application also. And then that other thing that they have internally. So some, some organizations get hit quite a few times. And, uh, so yeah, a lot of the business comes from that, but more and more of the business comes from what I like to identify as a much more interesting client to work with, which are people who are just genuinely interested in doing the right thing. Like they have a really strong drive for diversity, equity, and inclusion internally they want to do good by their clients, by their by their people, by their workforce, and they genuinely care about creating a more inclusive workspace, uh, workplace. So, uh, so it's always more interesting to look at it from the perspective of we, want, we just want to make it a better place. Then we don't want to get sued. It's a different angle. Oh yeah, most definitely, and it makes me feel good that there are still people out there that just want to do the right thing. Oh, well, there are uh, there are more and more actually. I find, I find it interesting because as millennials are getting slowly into positions of authority and, mm-hmm. and influence in businesses, these values are becoming more and more uh, you know, prevalent, frequent. Um, my generation wasn't that great at that. And you know, yeah. we're probably around the same age. Um, I'm 51. Um, Gen Xers, 
Not that much. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, me, myself and I and, and, and younger generations are much more open to uh, to to caring about others and, and being mindful of uh, how others feel. And as a mm-hmm. result of that, DEI is growing really quickly as a value for a mm-hmm. lot of them. And that has a direct influence on whether or not people want to do something about inclusion for, well, disability inclusion in this particular case. Well, it's interesting. I, I'm a substitute teacher. I also coach uh, uh, state level select soccer. And and when I go into the classroom for the first time, or if, if I have freshmen for the start of the year, I tell them about my story. I'm, I'm a quad amputee that uses bilateral uh, myoelectric hands. And I tell them my story and it just centers things. So there's something about this generation that really makes me feel positive about mm-hmm. the future because it there are times when things come up and I, I tell the kids that my generation screwed up because we didn't do anything. I hope you guys do things differently. And doggone it, maybe maybe there is something there that uh, they will become more outspoken again. So maybe maybe we'll revert back to a little bit of the uh, 1960s, you know, rah-rah for uh, human rights. That would be great. I will tell, yeah. I, I want to do I, something I like be, that. I would be all for that. Yeah. Um, I feel like every generation brings something of value that isn't much needed because they watched their parents go and they were judgmental of their parents, like like I, like I was really, yeah. and they they decide to do things differently as a result of that. And there's quite a few things that we have been doing that our parents have been doing that needs to be addressed. And if they do that, then they'll leave the world a little better place than than they found it. And I think that's the goal ultimately for all of us. That's cool. Let's go into in your book, uh, yeah. The Inclusive Speaker. That debuted mm-hmm. recently. And by the way, congrats. I, I know Cute. a lot of work went into that, and you're still, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least I'd known, out there. I might not have written it, but yes. <laughs> nah, you would have. You would. Let I, me read the synopsis. Uh, every year, communication professionals inadvertently shut the door in the face of hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities and el- elderly folks, adding the stigma of exclusion and leaving millions of dollars of potential revenue on the table in the process. I'm going to talk about that specifically in a bit. Uh, this disconnect leaves people behind, broadens the digital divide, causes irreparable damage to the individuals and brands, directly impacts the bottom line of organizations. Here we go again with that. And contributes to the degradation of our social fabric. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a huge societal problem that this book means uh, to fix. Um, go, tell us about <laughs> it. Okay, well, first, first of all, what you, we need to sort of set the stage by saying that disability is not as rare as people realize. Mm-hmm. In the United States, 26% of the population self-identifies that as having a disability, so that's more than one out of four people who have a disability, okay. who, who, who identify as having one or multiple ones. Um, people typically don't realize this because 80% of the disabilities are in fact invisible. So learning disabilities, ADHD, um, autism spectrum, traumatic brain injuries, uh, colorblindness that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, mental health issues, anxiety, like there's all these things that really that have an impact on how people interact with the world, how they perceive Mm -hmm. information, how they consume information. And if you don't pay attention to what those things are, these people are likely left out. Like they're going to struggle with some of the things that you share as a communicator. 
that's that 80% that's invisible. And then the other 20%, of course, is people that have that are in a wheelchair, people that are blind, people that are deaf, people that have a like a white cane, a guide dog, like all these different things that we can see that are that are more easily uh, noticeable. Um, so when people think about disabilities, they think about you know the guy the guy in a wheelchair, or they think about that woman with a dog. That's what mm-hmm. they think about, but they don't think about their colleague sitting right next to them every single day, who doesn't like to read all that much and actually doesn't like to read because they're dyslexic or that other person that is always a little scattered and don't really know why. And they're questioning their, you know, their competency. Well, in reality, it's just ADHD and they have a hard time focusing on certain things. Like we, we put those labels on people and we don't realize that sometimes it's a disability thing. Mm -hmm. So that's the premise of that book. It's explaining like all this landscape that we don't, we know, we know very little about. And then how that percentage of the population also is part of your audience. If you are a speaker, for instance, and you speak in front of 100 people, chances are there's a good percentage of people who are going to fit that particular profile. They're not going to have all the same kind of of challenges or the same kind of expectations, but they will have their own types of expectations and needs. And if you can't accommodate what those are, those folks are going to slowly disconnect and disengage from what you're talking about. And if your goal was to convert them into clients, you lost them at LO, basically, at that point. And, um, And if you push that further as a brand, for instance, and what you're doing is you're putting an ad out there that is supposed to attract people to buy your product or your services... And the way that you frame your conversation is, um, you know, you know cre- creates friction with a particular group because of the wor- a word that you use, for instance. You know, a lot of the words that that we use regularly, like, you know, oh, that thing was crazy, for instance, or like, there's a lot of words like that we use that yeah. fall under the ableism or the ableist language category that most of us are using without even thinking about it twice. It's just a word that we use to say, oh, it was crazy. It was really, really wild, for instance. So we use the word crazy or it was insane or anything anything Mm -hmm. like that. But for some people, it refers back to something that is something that they carry. Maybe it's a mental health issue. Maybe it's someone in their family that had a particular issue or condition, and and that word to them resonates in a very different way. So let's say, for instance, that you're that brand and you're you're selling this really, really cool product, and the people in your advertisement, uh, in, in, in your ad, talk about how crazy that is. That person who's sensitive to the use of that word automatically says, this is not for me. You could have had the exact same result by using a different word that was non-triggering, and that particular person would have been more receptive to what you're talking about. Multiply that by so many different things for so many different people, and very quickly, what I'm I'm explaining in that book is that on average, there's about 20% of your audience that will systematically just disconnect with what you're saying because of the way that you say it or the way that you present it. So the book is about helping you understand what those things are and what you can do to avoid that and how you can reprogram your own you know, perspective, your own approaches, your own t- tips and techniques so that you are more inclusive in how you communicate with an audience. And okay. I do that by, uh, by teaching through different types of examples of, 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 uh, of audience members, people who are legally blind, people who, have, who are hard of hearing, people who are colorblind, people who, are, who have ADHD, dyslexia, this or that. And then through their lens, showing you examples of the barriers that they run into. And now you, as a communicator, can avoid those barriers by doing this or doing that. So basically teaching you how to do that. And through the process, explaining how we're all on a, on a model, basically like a five-step model of inclusion as communicators. Um, and the more, the more aware and the more advanced we are, 
then the less people we risk leaving behind as a result of how we communicate with them. In a nutshell, that's what the book is about. So very, very actionable. Over 200 tips and tricks that I share throughout, all based on, on data, all based on research with actual people with disabilities that have shared their own experiences attending live in-person or virtual uh, events. And, um, and yeah, captured into 364 pages that I hope of, is of goodness, ultimately, and, and, and meant to, to you know, bring some good into this world. I think you're touching on something that it's not going to be easy uh, Never is. to get this thing. Yeah. If it's worth it, it's not easy. And you're one of those people that wants to uh, start making a difference. And uh, Try to. Try to. Yeah. Best I, best I can. And, and maybe the, the one piece also that, that I didn't mention that is quite important in, in the whole thing is that, yes, we're talking about a quarter of the population a fifth, a quarter of the population. Mm -hmm. Again, like 26% in the United States, 22% in Canada, pretty much the same thing. Um, but those folks also control a very significant uh, amount of money every year. Like they're spending oh, power, yeah. their after-tax disposable income in the United States alone is $504 billion. So that's half a trillion dollars every year that they control. If you as a brand are not able to communicate to them in a way that's inclusive, you're basically... You know, not even tapping into a market that's worth over $500 billion a year mm -hmm. because those folks are automatically going to rule you out. Like you are not, you're not interested in, in what they have, what, what, they, what they need, and therefore they're going to go elsewhere. In Canada, it's $55 billion, so it's pretty much the same. I mean, all things considered or considered equal, uh, you know, 325 million or so Americans, around 40 million Canadians, the ratio is like nine to one, basically. So the data is pretty much similar in, in Canada as well. So billions of dollars, largely untapped and underserved market that organizations should really tap into more if they wanted to broaden their, 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 their perspective, uh, you know, line up their, their bottom line, hit those goals, like all these different things. Accessibility is a great way to do that. And while you're doing it, you're also looking like an amazing corporate uh, citizen because you're doing all these great things for society. I mean, there's nothing that could go wrong with doing this. But people just don't know, so they don't they don't do it. Well, on that note, I want to take a two second pause for uh, an ad drop here. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then I want to I, I want to get onto something. I I just uh, dropped an audiogram today for uh, an episode that recently released, and and the title is that um, uh, it, it relates to um, that same thing about the power of the disability community financially and the money that people are missing out on. But I want to bring up two companies that uh, have spurred me on, and I'm very interested in digging into more. One is The Gap, and I call it The Gap Kid. That was a, a post uh, that was recently on LinkedIn and a photo of uh, a child wearing Gap clothing. He's wearing cargo shorts, but he's also missing both of his legs, and he's wearing prosthetic legs. It's like, yeah, this is really cool. And the other one is Lego, and they've got a thing, new thing called out called Lego kids. And there are two children within the Lego group that have disabilities. One is, uh, missing a, uh, part of an arm and, and the other one, um, uh, cerebral palsy child. And they're not in every box. And one of them, and it bothers me, the cerebral palsy child is only in the $150 Lego box. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other kid is in three different Lego boxes, all, you know, 25, maybe $40 or so. Mm -hmm. So there's two examples of companies that give a damn or 
maybe they're just smart. <laughs> I think they're more smart. Either There's way, money, man. Let's go get it. They're helping push the needle. Yeah. But the AR, exactly. They're helping push the needle, but they're also going to come out on, uh, on the positive side financially. And yeah. they're getting free advertising. Yeah. Because people exactly. like me are talking about it. Um, yeah. Hey, there's, there's a, um, the last sentence of that synopsis. This is a huge societal problem. And this book means to help fix that. Yeah. Obviously you've already been saying, yeah, it's a huge problem and you're just trying to be a part of it. Correct. Exactly. And it, it does, does come down that simply. And it goes back to the, what you were talking about with yourself and how you are uh, with uh, the suits, so to speak on, Hey, this is the way I am. And this is what we're trying to do. And let's, let's go from it. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's about connecting on ideas much more than on appearances really. Yeah. And um, in, in, anyone who cares about these things, what, what I, what I like to think is that when I open my mouth, the fact that I'm not wearing a tie no longer makes a difference because yeah. you know what I bring answers problems that they didn't know they had and I give them solutions for those problems. That is worth a lot more than, than a jacket and a suit and a, and a tie, really. So I like the way you put it. It's all about that. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, let's go back. I want to hear about your career path. What got you to this point? How did you go in this direction? Hmm. So, so most people that do that do the work that I do come out of come come to it as a, out of necessity. Uh, they have a disability themselves. They they've been struggling with okay. accessing you know the information online, things like that. That wasn't my case. Um, back when I started, which was 22, 23 years ago, um, I was colorblind, obviously I've been colorblind all my life, but I never would have mentioned it to anyone. I mean, I was so scared of, you know, being singled out. I mean, a lot of the work that I was doing was related to design. So you can imagine that like the last thing I needed people to know was that I didn't really know what the, what colors I was working with, okay. but I always had this you know, th this, this particular perspective on design and, and color, color combinations that made me a little different than others, but I never really bothered to explain why. Anyway, point is that in the summer of 2000, uh, 2000 um, I was leading a team of web developers, designers, building websites for a company in Montreal. And, uh, and we won this contract to redesign a website for an hospital here. And the website, the, the, I mean, the, the, the requirements also mention something about this website needs to be able to be usable by people, by people who are blind. Um, and nobody knew what to do with it. So they said, hey, didn't you figure this out? It's like, okay, sure. That's basically what my job was, is figuring out problems and how we could fix them. So I started doing some research and found out that on, online that there were guidelines around how to make you know, web content accessible to people with disabilities. So I was instantly hooked and, and, and curious about what that was. The more I researched, the more I started sharing my findings online. Like, I guess I was blogging before blogging was a thing. I guess mm -hmm. is what that was. Okay. Yeah. And through that, people started reaching out to me. So people from France, people from, from you know, my neighborhood, people from Montreal, people from all over the place were starting to talk with me. And a lot of those people had disabilities themselves. So I started you know, meeting people with disabilities online or in person because I knew no one, I knew no one who had a disability back then. Like I couldn't relate to anyone like that, and I certainly didn't consider myself to be disabled either. And so through them, through their perspectives, through our conversations, it grew on me as something that needed to be done, and been doing that ever since. And and through through these these uh, these these um, these meetings with people, through the networking, through them sharing their their perspectives. 
them being vulnerable about this, it just became something that I wanted to embody and, and make a difference. And mm -hmm. 22, 23 years later, I'm here talking to you about that same thing again. It's a mission. It's what that is. It's something that pulled you into it. Oh yeah. And you were, you were ready for it. Um, so your, your company name is, uh, called inclusive communication. Yes. With a, with a K instead of a with C. With a K and no you do e that? at the end. Okay. So, some 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 days I'm wondering that myself. Um, it, it came out of a it almost came out of a, a, a dare of a friend of mine because uh, we were talking about tattoos and ink, and I was talking about you know inclusive communication. That's the thing, and then it just sort of became something that I wanted to use Init initially in the in the logo, the the logo design for for the website. I N K would have been a little different so that it would stand out, and I could uh, you know, play oh, with this Got idea it, of, of tattoos. Okay. And I kind of dropped that over the over time, yeah. And it just became a different way to spell it that you know appeals to me visually. That's really mm -hmm. there, there's that more than anything else. Really into it. Um, all the all the good things that I thought I would bring into it from that angle are pretty much gone now. But um, but the memory of that still still remains. It's interesting how we develop and and businesses develop. Oh yeah. I want to open it's up very personal. And then, then, you know, you just, you just go into a different direction at some point. Yeah. As long as you're not afraid to do it you learn mm -hmm. as you go, I'm going to open up your webpage sure. and right at the top animations, animations on animations off. Now I don't notice anything. What happens on here with animations off versus so, animations so on? So that, that's a nice little feature that I advocate for a lot of people to use. Uh, it's about vestibular disabilities. So okay. if you go if you go down the page once it's turned off, everything is going to be static. If it, if Got it's it. turned on, things are going to appear as you scroll down the page. Things are going to pop uh, and and you just get displayed. Mm -hmm. And all of this animation for someone who has a vestibular disorder, someone who has vertigo, someone who who has a hard time dealing with with animations and movement, okay. that might be very triggering for them. And and as the web has become a lot more dynamic we hear more and more people talking about how just going online makes them feel nauseous kind of like um you know kind of like kind of like motion sickness basically so a nice way for you to make sure that you're not uh you know creating or causing issues for some of your users who fit that particular bill is to either have a site that is completely static which could be a little boring or you just have a little feature on your website that disables animation so that those who benefit or those who appreciate it can still have all that fun stuff. But those who can't can just turn that off so that you can go through your entire website without feeling, um, you know, sick or, or, or nauseous about the, because of the movement that you have there. So I want to use something and it makes me think uh, you, what you just said about this. It seems so simple. I've never seen it before, but you've got three key points in your homepage at the top. Empower your audience, truly connect, further your brand. But Denis, what you just were mentioning Sure, it helps people with animations toggle on and off. That costs me money, man. So how do you propose or get these people, sell these people on, do you use these three key points, empower your audience, truly connect and further your brand in order to, to get them to say, okay, it's worth the money to me now? It's it's part it's part of my arsenal. It's part of the ammo that, okay. I, that I bring to a conversation, I guess. Uh, I mean, the whole empower people part is is certainly uh, like speaks for itself. I think. Um, I mean, if you if you are allowing people to succeed, be successful as they're going through your content, if they can successfully 
autonomously go through the transaction that you're suggesting to them if they can convert into a client and they don't need somebody else's support to do that they uh-huh. feel good about their experience with you you're empowering them to be successful as you do that you are truly connecting with them on a deeper more personal level because they know what it's like to not be on a website where they can't do anything self, self uh, you know self uh, i mean autonomously self uh, what am i looking for I mean, autonomously, basically. Yeah, autonomously. So they know what that is. When they go to your site or when they go to your your presentation or this or that, and they feel like you are talking to them because they notice all the little things you do to make them feel included, Mm -hmm. they really connect with you. Therefore, they truly connect is that idea of a deeper, more meaningful connection. And then further, your brand is the, to me, is the consequence of all of that. If you are embodying those values, if you are doing those things, if you are going the extra mile, with your your audience, with your prospects, with your clients, mm-hmm. they notice. And if they notice, they become more loyal to you and they help further that brand of yours for more success and, and all that the, the good things that come with that. So okay. to me, it's a very logical equation of how you can get to broadening your 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 audience and uh, and again, you know, meeting meeting your objectives from a financial standpoint, for instance, or or just from a brand recognition, a reputation standpoint. Okay. Makes sense. Now, under your services tab are three different points, speaking, training, coaching. Yes. Could talk about each one, please. A lot of what I do is training. Uh, a lot of what I do is sharing all these different things with people so that they can themselves they can themselves understand how to do these things and implement that into their own practice. So I do that through training. I do that to co- through coaching. I do that through speaking. That's the bulk of what I do. Um, inevitably, as I speak about those things, people will ask me, so can you take a look at my website and tell me what's wrong with it, if there's anything wrong with it? Okay. So, you know, a lot of what I do becomes also auditing and, and you giving recommendations about how to fix, what to fix and, and that kind of thing. Um, but for the most part, it's about sharing the message and empowering people, again, this empowerment thing, so that they are able to truly connect with their audience. It comes back, it always comes back to that. So whether it's a webinar, whether it's a workshop, whether it's a training session, uh, whether it's coaching, like short or long-term coaching, it's all about sharing as much information as possible with people so that they become able to do these things themselves and help their brand be more successful and help those who like that brand feel like they can actually do business with it and and enjoy it as much as others can. Hmm. Now, down the page uh, is a red box that says, did you know? And it reads, research conducted by Nielsen Norman Group indicates that on average, every one of us loses about 8% of our ability to use the web effectively for every decade that we add to our lives over the age of 25. This means that by the time we reach age 65, most of us will have lost on average about 32% of that ability. If you care about truly connecting with all of your audience, how might that impact impact the way you design your content? Mm-hmm. that's laying it out there. That's, that's point blank, Denny. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, like I said, I mean, it, it, like let's not sugar, sugarcoat anything. Um, that particular piece of data is probably one of the most frightening ones that I've encountered in my life. Uh, knowing that, you know, every, so every year is 0.8% every year that we lose cognitively speaking that we lose okay. in terms of efficiency when we're using web content. So all of us, regardless of how, um, you know, savvy we are with technology over time, we are slowly deteriorating in that sense, if you will. Um, so, and, and, and we know, I mean, the population keeps getting older. 
We mm -hmm. don't create as many kids as, as we used to. Therefore, we have fewer and fewer younger generations and more and more people that are getting older. Those folks live longer lives. So we have, we have a growing population of people that are going to be over the age of 65 by the time we hit uh, 2030s. I think it's going to be like 25% of the population will be over 65 in, in eight, seven, seven, seven years from now. Um, so what does that mean in terms of how you, you know, approach your, your clients, how you approach your, your message in general? If you're not paying attention to people who are getting older, if you're not paying attention to the millions of people right now who are between the age of 50 and 65 or 50 and 69, for instance, they're still active on the workforce. They are older. Their sight is not as good as it used to be. Their hearing is not as good as it used to be. And if you still design as if everyone was in their early 20s, because all your designers are in their early 20s and they don't know any better, and that's what you're focusing on, there's a disconnect between your me the message that you send and those you send it to. And if the people that are older just don't connect with that message because of the way that you present it, because of the way that you design it, because of the font that you use or the size of that font or the colors that you use, all these different things, they just don't feel connected with you. And they're going to try and go elsewhere to get what they need. Um, and that particular group, again, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, disability and, and purchase, purchasing power and, and after-tax disposable income, but there's all that other group of people who don't identify as having a disability, whether they have one or not is irrelevant, but they don't identify as such. And, um, and they, they, they control trillions of dollars uh, in disposable income as retirees, as seniors, and they're not stopping to, you to, to consume because they get to 65 and they no longer work, for instance. Mm -hmm. They, they've grown with technology for the last 30 years or so. They're still going to use technology, but now they have time to spend their money and they have kids to spoil so or grandkids to spoil. So if your brand is not able to accommodate them or welcome them in a way that they feel that they can, they can be successful, they're going to try to go elsewhere. And, and some companies are doing really good in, in, in that capacity. And if you're not, I mean, you're losing on that market again. Again, the untapped, underserved market um, that you're just not looking at. I have to tell you, Danae, I really like your style because if I was sitting across the table from you and I had a business, I would be listening very intently to what you're saying because you know what you're talking about and you care what you're talking about and that's coming through. And I hope it's coming through to our audience too. I'm, I'm sure it is. I've, I've been told I was passionate about this a couple of times. Yeah. You are, man. That's cool. <laughs> um, on your website is a, how inclusive do you think you are test? I yes. took it. And I just went straight down the line, three out of five sometimes. And here's here's what I got back. All right. Um, my response was ranked as inspired, which means inspired speakers have had enough exposure to the impacts of disabilities and age aging-related challenges to recognize that they might be more diverse. Uh, they might be more to diversity than commonly agreed upon concepts such as learning styles, gender fluidity, and skin tones, but don't yet have enough clarity to know what they can do about it. While they successfully, um, while they successfully appeal to different learning styles with a variety of techniques, their definition of diversity is still clouded by their own lived experiences and unconscious biases. Their delivered, uh, their delivery approach still doesn't fully account for the needs of those who are potentially left out. And as a result, part of their audience remains unable to fully engage in the experiences they create. Inspired is above instinctive. Thank God I was above something. Uh, and below invested and inclusive. Yeah. Do I need help, Denis? 
You might. You might. I just we, took it. I just went we, three out of we five. Can, we can time. talk about that if you want to after the show. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, th- this 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 little test that you talked about that you just talked about is what I mentioned in that book. Um, the last piece, that model, that five step model, is exactly that. So okay. going through, uh, you know, the, the very first phase, which is the instinctive phase, and then the uh, inspired. Um, uh, what is it like? Involved, invest, invest, involved, invested, and then inclusive. Something like, like I keep mixing them yeah, in yeah. my head. I've only been working with this for five years. So <laughs> every one of those steps basically gets you one step closer to the goal, arguably, which is to be inclusive. Inclusive. Um, I like to. I'm a bit of a nerd, so you know, I like to think about inclusive as you know, there, there's Yoda right there, and then you know, there's young Luke Skywalker on the other end, and you know, there's a journey between the two. And, um, and yeah, I mean, every one of those steps is basically just how often do you pay attention to that one thing? One of the things you mentioned when we talked about that blog post about uh, hard of hearing, for instance, was using a microphone. Mm-hmm. So you would be shocked how many people that I've seen over the years in, in, you know, medium to large meeting rooms say, I don't need a microphone. Everyone can hear me, right? And then they, they ask the audience. And of course, nobody says anything. And they start not. talking without a microphone because they don't feel good using the microphone. They don't feel comfortable doing, doing that. But there's always someone in the room that really doesn't, that really, really could have used a microphone. Or there's someone in that room, even if it's a small room, who's sitting by some ventilation or, or anything that makes some noise and they can't quite hear you. Or they're going to be missing something that somebody else might say in the other end of the room. And if microphones were around, people could hear better. So... Okay. Someone who's more aware of these things knows better. And we'll say, even if it's a small room, even, even if it looks a little dorky, I'm still going to use that microphone because someone might benefit from this. It's not about how I feel holding it and whether I'm, I'm comfortable. It's about, will I be heard by people? Because if, if I'm not being heard, why am I even bothering talk to talk? I mean, if people aren't going to hear me. So it's all these little things. Uh, how many times, you know, you, your audience, anyone who's listening, how many times have you been in a meeting or a presentation and someone is pointing to the screen and they're saying, as you can see here, but what if I have low vision issues? What if I'm blind? Like, what am I looking at? I can't even see. If you bothered to describe the thing that you're pointing to, we'd all be on equal footing again. Like, there's all these examples of things. And that particular test you're talking about has over 200 such questions, different things. And, you know, it's, it's all part of what the book talks about. It's all these different tips and tricks. And, and just to get to you to ask yourself, how often do I do this? Do I systematically do this or do I you know, never think about it? And, and the more you answer always to those questions, the more likely that you are a more inclusive speaker. And when you run that, that little assessment uh, uh, for yourself, you see some of your own gaps, some of your own biases, and maybe you can work on that. When you notice that you're not, never doing that thing, Maybe you should. So that's one way for you to grow and learn and get a little better uh, over time. So it's all what about you, it's all about that journey. What you've been saying, it, it's all makes sense, and we need more of that in the world. A lot of it is common sense, but yeah. like most things that are common sense, people just don't think about it. Yeah. So let's uh, get down to the end of the show, and and I just want to ask you this: What's next for you? Well, um, I just released that book a week ago. So, so right now, 
a lot of it is promotion. Uh, yeah. I'm French speaking, as you probably have picked up. So a French translation is in order. Otherwise, okay. my family will just, you know, <laughs> disown, dis, disown me or whatever uh, the word would be. So I have to have a French version, of course. Um, there's an audiobook version of that that needs. I need to figure out how. Yeah. Like the thing is, I the, the thing is, you know, I'm I don't know what I don't know. Like a lot of people, this is my first okay. book, so I'm discovering okay. all these things as I go. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, otherwise, it's about it's about speaking about that very topic to people. It's it's getting to work with organizations who care about these things, who want to make a difference, who want to be do good by their 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 employees, want to do good by their clients, their prospects, and help them have a different perspective and, and, and change things internally so that their culture really becomes an inclusive one. Helping organizations do that, serve their, these organizations so that they can be more successful doing the things that they wish they could do, but they don't quite yet know how. You fight for a cause, and I respect the hell out of that, Denis. Mm. I really do. Um, Thank you. Let's, let's, do, let's change things up. Hey, it's time for the road trip roundup. Five questions I've got for you, Denis. Yes. Uh, just casual like we've been doing. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, when road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? <sighs> of course, it's fast food. <laughs> Where, what's, uh, what's your go-to? Do you have one? Uh, I don't really have one. I try to avoid some. I'm not going to name any, but I, there, there are some that I try to <laughs> avoid. might hire you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to avoid naming them because like okay. I said, 90% Smart. of this is in the U.S. and a lot of them are actual clients. So I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. I'm not. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we're not going there. All right. Yeah, let's not that. <laughs> I'll pull you out from the quicksand. Uh, what's your dream car for a road trip? Um, that can uh, be you on me with me. We're having technical difficulties here, folks. I might have to go in and fix it. Denis? Yep. Okay, cool. Okay. I lost your video. We're good. Oh, sorry. No, don't sorry. worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, what's your dream car for a road trip? It could be something you grew up with, something you have now, or something that, hey, uh, uh, you're going to go rent for a, for a road trip. Um, I'm really not a car person to begin with, which I guess is is a bit of a of an issue in this case. I would say okay. anything that goes fast and as no no you, you can you can like take the the, the rooftop off oh yeah nice. yeah convertible convertible thank you so i guess that but also i i like my comfort so like an rv would be nice hey, my god yet another i swear i i did two <laughs> interviews yesterday and two today i think i think maybe all four of you guys said rvs yeah, um well I mean, wow i like my comfort i'm old yeah. like i said you're not gonna get more comfortable <laughs> than that unless you're in your own living room Okay, last cassette or CD that played while you were on a road trip or while you were driving. So, so again, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I'm a huge Alice in Chains fan from the '90s. Okay, so that Dirt album has been playing for 30 years now. <laughs> um, some some old Foo Fighters stuff is definitely yeah. in there. And then I have to give a huge shout out to two Canadian bands that really shouldn't be known more than they are. One is Tragically Hip and the other one Heard is uh, Matthew Good or the Matthew Good Band. Um, amazing rock bands from Canada. But otherwise, I'm very much stuck in the 90s with grunge music. Okay. Hey, that's what we grow up with. That's what makes us happy. That's what we're going to listen to, damn it. Yeah. All right. Straight up, Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke, definitely. But okay. zero. Coke, Coke, zero. Me too. Picked there it up when we were in Europe. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's in our uh, our beverage drawer right now. Uh, last one. You go with this wherever you want. And I just love this freaking question. What's your favorite road trip memory? 
so as a kid, uh, I guess a lot of people will go there, right? So as a kid, leaving with my parents from Montreal, going to like a two-day two uh, road trip to go see my grandparents who live in the Magna Magdalen's Islands. So you wouldn't know where that is, but mm -hmm. east of Canada. And uh, again, just being in a car with my parents, um, listening to music, stopping whenever we want to. Cool going to pools, going to motels, different things like that, sleeping in the car, and then one day waking up, and then we're like, my grandparents are there, and it's amazing. I mean, that's cool. That, that's really cool. Other, other than that, I mean, I, I like we did this road trip to go to California at some point uh, as a young adult. Very different context. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just making our changed. way over there with a bunch of friends with zero responsibilities. That part is oh, yeah. something that I oh, those a days. long time ago. Yes. Okay. So, so you know, leaving Montreal and and you know, way way before 9/11, so barely mm -hmm. no way, no 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 barrier to entry yeah. into the United States, and just making our way over there, not really knowing where we're going, and you know, making mistakes along the way, and being you being young and idiot. I mean, as much as we we could. Why not? And then and then surviving the whole thing and not getting arrested. I mean, that, <laughs> I think that was perfect, like a perfect success. So. I love your candor. You'd be fun in a pub, <laughs> man. We could we could tip a couple. All right. So I want uh, we we are officially wrapping up the show, and uh, I want you and I to stay on for a couple minutes after I hit stop. But just going to finish with uh, challenge, relax, everybody, and uh, keep listening until life's a road trip. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. <laughs>